train back to Austin Couple cars, cocaine in the interstate Most every night this is what it's like You don't answer, I keep calling just to stay away Hope what you said wasn't meant for me You told me I was no good Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show powered by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. Got a great show lined up for you, and I'll tell you all about it here momentarily. Man, this is it. Last weekend of duck season in the Central Flyway, and I want to be honest with you, for the first time in my life, I'm not sad to see it go. Not not even a little bit, which pains me to say, but this has been the worst duck season ever. And when you see videos of folks in South Dakota where nothing's frozen up, stacking up mallards, well, I mean, tells you all you need to know about this season, uh, at least being here at the end of the Central Flyway. Uh, I know even like Southern Oklahoma, some of those guys had a great season, just like two hours north of us, but... Man, the DFW Metroplex, nobody has done worth a dang. And uh, and fortunately enough, I've been able to go on some out-of-town hunts and and get bell on some birds. But after opening weekend here, it was just a wasteland. So adios. We're going out one more time. Just uh, I guess my friend Jonathan and I will will look at each other and just kind of say, you want to get skunked at 8 or at 9? because <laughs> that's how it's been uh but still can't complain about watching the sun come up and i asked henry if he still wanted to go and of course his answer was duh like any smart ass eight-year-old would say to their old man when asked a seemingly incredulous question right who doesn't want to go duck hunting dad okay we'll run it back one more time for the gipper uh but yeah I uh, hope you had a great season. Uh, next year will be better. I know that. Uh, can't get any worse. So the grass looks greener <laughs> from that standpoint. Maybe old man winter has something nasty for us in store for 2021. That'd be awesome. Uh, anyway, what's on the docket for today? Let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up a stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. Because off the top, we're going to talk conservation snow geese with longtime guide Chris Limp of Live Oak Outdoors. Uh, Chris runs his operation out of the rice production rich area of El Campo, Texas, which traditionally sees snow geese winter there by the hundreds of thousands. Uh, and the conservation season opens up next week. So Chris will join us. We'll talk all things white devils coming up momentarily. Then we'll shift gears and head out to California. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the latest anti-hunting legislation introduced there would ban black bear hunting altogether. That's the highlight of our conversation with Sportsman's Alliance's Brian Lynn. There's a couple other things we'll hit on as well. Uh, even Texas has legislation introduced that would affect hunting dog kennels and trainers in a negative way. Uh, so lots of stuff to get into with Brian. And then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to dive into this just absolute insanity 
that has seen President Biden sign 32 executive orders in his first week in office. Specifically, however, there is one that has caught my ire that has the potential to undo decades worth of work done from a pro-conservation standpoint. And let me tell you, it has a lot to do with the eternal hot button issue that is gray wolves in North America. Uh, so interesting stuff. We'll, we'll tackle all of that with SCI's Director of Governmental Affairs, Ben Cassidy. So that's what's on today's program. Going to be a good one. Certainly looking forward to it. Uh, let's knock out a quick break. Actually, how about a giveaway first? Uh, I don't know how many of you guys own 223s. Imagine many of you. But uh, I'm going to give away two more boxes of this cheap Russian steel-cased Wolf 223 ammo. It's 40 more rounds than you had previously. And if you're trying to find them right now, good luck. Uh, most sporting goods stores certainly don't have 223 and the one I was in this week didn't have any ammo whatsoever it is truly a ghost town on ammo shelves across the country so we'll give away uh, two more boxes just email the word how about second amendment that might be two words or an abbreviation and a word but whatever second amendment to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com and you were entered into today's ammo giveaway uh, let's take that break when we come back we're talking all things snow geese with longtime guide chris limp on sei's lone star outdoor show The spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. Cable here reminding you to check out the Polestar Helion 2.0 Thermal Monocular if you haven't already. It's got all the great features that you've come to expect from Polestar. Internal recording, varied color palette, and it's an essential tool for scouting so that you don't blow animals out of your sets. I use it on all my whitetail hunts and, of course, predator and hog hunting as well. You can find the Helion 2.0 at Polestar nv.com and get this you'll save 20 percent off when you use my promo code lone star underscore pl when you purchase any pulsar thermal or night vision monocular hey this is evan felker with the turnpike troubadours thanks for listening to the lone star outdoor show well covey took wing shotguns singing a pointing dog down in the old logging road and Danny got three And looked back grinning I fumbled around And I tried to reload The country was cold with a sun Classic one there from Turnpike Troubadours The Bird Hunters Bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show Cable Smith here with you uh, Thanks to our presenting sponsor Mossberg Firearms as well That one by request uh, You guys keep sending in those tunes that you want me to spin, 
And we'll make it happen for you, uh, as long as it's not like Luke Bryan or Florida Georgia Line, because uh, that I'll just laugh at. <laughs> or maybe, uh, what's another good one? Shoot it back and shoot it back a spit. And Blake Shelton, maybe? Uh, no thanks. We're going to pass on all that. Um, we're actually about to head down to the heart of Texas rice production near El Campo to chase white devils with Chris Slimp of Live Oak Outdoors. But before we talk snow geese, this segment of the show brought to you by a game changer for me when it comes to this duck season. It's the Dirtbag Duffel. This has become my new blind bag. It is rugged. It's waterproof. And since my kids have started going duck hunting with me, I can put all their crap in it. I even throw my blind bag in my newer larger blind bag, which is the uh, the medium-sized dirt bag duffel from First Light. They've got three sizes, also great for airline travel, uh, the large size. You just throw it on your back as a you know, traditional backpack, uh, but it's that same rugged waterproof material. And I can't tell you how much I've fallen in love with these things. So versatile. You can find them at firstlight.com. It's the dirt bag duffel. First Light, go further, stay longer. All right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk snow geese the conservation season is upon us so let's take the plugs out of our guns and get after it with chris limp of live oak outdoors thanks for being here chris thanks for having me on always a pleasure yeah so how's the uh 2021 waterfowl season been for you guys everybody's had their ups and downs but uh we've been pretty pretty consistent um not just pull up to the field and throw decoys out had a think about a lot of stuff this year take the extra time to to scout and uh game plan and come come back with some with some old tricks for for even some of the newer birds yeah yeah well you're right about it uh it's been pretty consistent for me it's just been consistently terrible up here in north texas (laughs) like there was like a string of like three hunts where i had zero two zero i think uh it's been the worst duck season that i've ever seen in in north texas i'm glad that you guys um at least it seemed like you know based off of your pictures and your scouting videos that you guys held held a number a good number of birds throughout the season yes sir but you got to remember on them zeros that's that's the humbling experience it's it's not always about killing so that's what i try to try to remind them guys you know yeah even if you take a zero or you take a less than 10 bird trip you you still went, you woke up that morning and you got the experience. You know, a lot of stuff guys don't get the chance to. I can't you can't complain about watching the sun come up in the duck blind unless you have two six year old girls with you and they don't understand that taking a zero is part of the deal. <laughs> yes, <sir>. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it they get bored very quickly and they're like, Dad, I'm cold, I'm going back to the truck. I'm like, All right, fine. Uh but at least I got them out on the first couple of hunts this year, and they did get to see a few a few birds get shot. So, and the Ooh. dog go get them. That's what they wanted to see anyway. Um, yes. So, tell us a little bit about your operation. You do ducks, geese, uh, cranes. What uh, what what is your favorite to hunt? Mm, I really love to shoot geese. I don't know. It's just always been a passion. Uh, this year, kind of towards the end of the year, finally had to put some waders on. Mm-hmm. Got a little wet, wet in the rice fields and and some of the cornfields we were hunting, but for the most part, it's it's dry field hunting. Uh, just I don't know something when you when you get spun on by a couple thousand geese hovering overhead and then all the noise and the excitement. 
it's a little different than you know twenty pack of gadwalls doing it in the deep. <laughs> so. Right. Well, what makes the El Campo, Texas area such a you know waterfowl hotspot? Uh, just the the landowners that surround the farm and everything where, where I manage, and and obviously farm rice. Um, we just all try to work together, hold hold the uh, hold the roost pond. That's what a lot of these guys have have forgotten about um, roost pond. You know where a bird can rest in the evenings before they go to sleep or midday they can come loaf in there and just hang out you know without the hunting pressure on there and then you feed from your roost it it just it makes the world a difference a lot of these guys you know say it's well it's about the money you know i gotta hunt my roost because it's about the money mm-hmm. but then is it considered a roost then or is it considered just a backup duck pond? um but you gotta have the roost to, to hold the birds is is what we found over the years and and we don't ever hunt the roost. Just always been been a rule of thumb, and, and we've been successful that way. It's you know have your pond set up around your roost. You know you can catch the birds coming off, or you know allows the geese to go in there and water, and that way you kind of control how the hunting pressure is and and uh, how the birds kind of trickle off to you instead of you know okay well a duck party goes in on a roost that's down the county road well there goes the roost and then now instead of the geese or ducks trickling off into your feeding field they're all coming at once uh-huh. so. okay makes yeah. sense yeah so is it is it all rice down in that part of the world uh there's rice corn um there was going to be some wheat this year but rains caught caught some guys that were going to plant some winter wheat and spring wheat uh so they're trying to drill that in as we speak this week so hmm. maybe it'll hold out dry for for another week and a half and we'll have some wheat for the birds before they make their venture back to canada okay now do you manipulate water levels throughout the season <laughs> yes sir we try to hold everything um everything besides the roost is we try to hold it knee deep and below um we're basically targeting targeting puddle ducks obviously for duck hunting wise um you'll get the, the divers first two weeks of the season as they make their migration on down to the coast but as far as ponds and stuff like that that we typically hunt everything tries to be knee deep uh or below if we get a big rain we'll open the boards a lot of people think oh man that's free water let's save it for the most part, we're opening boards trying to get that water level back down uh-huh. where those those puddle ducks and, you know, especially the teal. The teal make the hunts down here, so try to keep it as, as shallow as you can without without losing the pond, if that makes sense. Right, right. And then, Wendy, like, talk about the, the snow geese. or That's basically what you're shooting and, and some specs, too. Um, what are those setups? Those aren't, those aren't on ponds. You're hunting those in dry fields? Yes, sir. Dry fields for the most part. Um, sometimes you get a heavy rain and you have a little sheet water out there. So we might set up, set up kind of on the edge of that, uh, target, you know, some guys want to shoot some pintails. That's, that's always a fun shoot laying in the whites, um, you know, mm-hmm. parkas and, and, and socks and, and getting out there on the backboards in the middle of the spread and, and letting the pintails come to you when you got that sheet water. And then obviously same thing with shooting the geese. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're wrapping up duck season. It's uh, this is the last weekend, but 
that doesn't mean things are winding down for you because you're getting fired up for the uh, conservation season. Which why why is your what is your understanding as to why that's necessary? So where we can take the plugs out of our guns and shoot. I mean, shoot until you can't shoot any more geese. Basically, no limit. Yes, yeah, sir. Sure. Um, just the conservation part of it. You know, I mean, a lot of guys up north and. I hadn't been fortunate enough to go to Canada yet, but make it there one day if the world gets back to a normal place. But, right. uh, you know, just the stuff you, you reach out to guys up there and like they, they're just walking around. And then, you know, a lot of the guys getting their crops torn, torn up up north is just, you know, trying to get the number back in check. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we don't get them down here like we used to, as, as the old guys say, you know, early 90s, late 80s. Um, you know, there used to be a million geese or better that would come to Texas. But, you know, for what we have um, that does come down here, especially like the wheat farmers last year during electronics, we we, we couldn't keep them out of a wheat field. But, you know, we did we did enough to help the guy make a crop, and he made an outstanding crop. But if we didn't have the hunting season, that guy would have lost his money and in time and to what he had into his wheat crop and then he would have been you know instead of putting that money towards the next farming program for obviously this year he'd have been out all the time and expense that he he lost in that crop so it goes both ways with helping the farmers and also helping the conservation efforts for it yeah well and the farming aspect isn't isn't something that i've really thought about i've always just read and and seen videos of you know, hundreds of thousands of snow geese on the tundra, which are their breeding grounds back up north, and they're just tearing it up, man. Like the they they uproot. There's so many of them that they're they're tearing it up faster than the the grass can recover, and they're uprooting it, and it's not growing back quickly enough. Um, so the, the bottom line, there's too many of them, and so yes, that's sir. why we have that uh, that season. And then you you add on to it the fact that they're doing, you know, you're doing. The farmers, I mean, it's like feral hogs, right? Um, yes, sir. same same kind of program. Just it, yeah. it flies and and can move around a little bit better than the hogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, are most of the snow geese that you guys uh, see during the conservation season? Or what? When do they get here? And do they do they typically just stay here until it's time to head back north? Or, I mean, talk about that migration. Uh, typically start seeing the first set of geese, uh, second crop, which is normally around October. Um, and then when you get those first couple cool fronts, everybody's, you know, pumped up because the mosquitoes are leaving for the most part. But, you know, I, I get excited because the geese start coming. Um, but typically those geese hop in right in behind the combines and stuff. And, and that's, you know, October, November on the migration down and then just kind of watching those fronts and then. Once they get here, they kind of disperse. You know, some will go to the coast where they've always gone, and and some kind of you know fluctuate up to the Katy Eagle Lake area, and then kind of just bounce around depending on the food and and how the crops are coming out of the field. Okay, what is your typical decoy spread for the conservation season? Uh, normally, we we throw anywhere from a thousand to pretty close to two thousand uh, socks. So, you know, basically a rod with the, there's so many variations now, but just the, the rocks, the rods with the uh, the backbones and the and the sock on there is typically what I'm throwing. A lot of guys have been switching to full bodies, but 
with wet conditions, uh, full bodies make for for a lot of extra work for uh-huh. the guys to, you know, comprehend how the spread's supposed to be set and where you can hand them a, a bundle of socks and just say, hey, make sure it's parallel to the ground and, and, and don't walk in a straight line. And it seems to work a little bit better than, you know, get your – Sometimes in full bodies start to become pole dancers, and I've never seen a pole dancer goose. So right. <laughs> uh, how expensive are the socks? Like for the guy who you know has permission to hunt a field, and he wants to try his hand at you know the conservation season. Um, is it something that they can do affordably? Absolutely. Um, there's still some some guys that run Texas rags. Uh, some of the original. There's you know, Silasoc brand, I mean, Five Bomb, uh, Skyfies is what I typically run. Uh-huh. Uh, there's so many variations, so many brands. A lot of a lot of decoys are new to the market, but then, you know, the decoy companies came back and, and started the economy line, you know, which is affordable for the guy that maybe just to, gets to go a couple weekends or maybe he only gets to go, you know, four or five times a year, but he's not going to be buying a big spread, but yet they made the decoys affordable enough to where he can afford a decent spread and go kill some geese. And so like, if I wanted to get a hundred or let's just say 10 dozen, I mean, are they, how expensive are they per dozen? Mm, I think those economies, they come like take Silsock, for example, Silsock economy decoys. I think, I think they're thirty dollars a dozen for oh. the economy line. So, okay, you know it's Not reasonable. Bad. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Um, what would you say are the best weather conditions for uh, conservation snows? Uh, well, any snows really. It doesn't. The geese yeah. don't know it's conservation season. Yes, sir. Uh, everybody has their their favorites, but I'm a I'm a sunshine and wind guy. Um, Got to have the wind for a little bit of motion. Uh-huh. Um, and sunshine because obviously, you know, like I said, I, I lay in the socks probably 90% of the time. Um, so with that sunshine, you, you disappear in those socks where in as the cloud cover, um, they can kind of pick you out just a little bit more inside those socks. So okay. try to, try to hit the sunny, sunny and windy days. Um, foggy days are fun too, but we all know fog. You can either be zero or hero on those days because yeah. sometimes they get they get lost and they end up three fields over instead of coming right back to where you found the feed the the day before. So those hunts are always fun. I, we just did a my uh, my buddy and I we took our boys out on a duck hunt last weekend, and I mean it was extremely foggy and you could hear the ducks long before you could see them. You know, just overhead. Yes, and, but when they did appear, man, they were right in the decoys. So. Made yes. for some fun and easy shooting, but man, you you really couldn't see them until they were in your face. Um, but it makes it it makes it that much better when they do come. So yeah, like I said, it, them fog days they're fun, but you're either zero or hero. Yeah, like if you, if these if they miss the field by two fields over, or they even miss it by two hundred yards, you know, you, and you try to get them over to you. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be disappointing, but at the same time, can be very rewarding. Always had some good shoots in the fog, um, some seventy-plus bird shoots in the fog. So, what's the most? Uh, what's the biggest number of of birds that you guys have taken during the conservation season on one hunt? Uh, we've had quite a few over a hundred. Um, the best being the one hundred and fifty-seven 
was about four years ago on the on a pretty good juvie hatch mm-hmm. um but nowadays with the bird numbers we have any any hunt over 30 is is an excellent hunt in my books okay yes sir why do these geese have the unfortunate name of sky carp because i've eaten them they're not they're not that bad no not at all i don't know i i don't know what what the correct answer is to that you know a lot of guys call them the white devils um some guys like you said refer to them as sky carp but um every one of my hunters takes birds with them i take plenty uh have plenty of freezers full and there's always guys asking on the hunts you know hey you got anything to eat yeah here's some jerky well you know a lot of guys forget hey you make goose turkey out of them like the survival sticks or you know there's plenty of ways to cook them tacos uh just blacking them is probably one of the best ways but uh-huh. i guess that's with anything you know some people may not like chinese food and some people may not like hamburgers so i guess it just comes from guys getting a bad taste or they overcook it and turn it into shoe leather <laughs> i've got a buddy in missouri who uh i met up with um for a hog hunt in seymour recently and he uh had pastrami'd some man and i made the best pastrami reuben ever with that stuff uh so what's one way to do it is to cure it uh, like or, like you said or, or jerky or a lot of folks make sausage out of them um yes sir how long do you typically hunt on uh, you know for snow geese during the conservation season are, are these things up and, and at them early like ducks or is it you know uh they tend to fly mm. later type of deal it just it just depends on the weather um you know we've always had some late cold fronts so that will drive the birds to get up early if if you got a late cold front coming in and and they're getting out to go feed um or you know with all going back to the roost uh how we were talking earlier if you know once conservation season starts you know you don't have the duck hunters so if guys are holding water um still before they let it go you know those birds are kind of sit and you may start seeing the first set of geese at seven o'clock instead of coming you know 15 minutes before shooting time like mm-hmm. during regular season because they got bumped from the duck hunters going in mm. so yes sir um, what shot size do you tell your guys to bring? Uh, I try to get everybody to get extension tubes. Um, and then typically I shoot three inch number twos, ounce and a quarter, or, you know, guys can't find those three inch, uh, BBs, ounce and a quarter will do fine. But, um, try to stay nothing over a foot size shot four and, um, try to get everybody to shoot three inch, um, just because, you know, if you got the extension tube, you can hold quite a few more mm-hmm. uh, than the three and a half. Okay. So three inches over three and a half. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You've got lots of eyes on you. And I know that juvenile birds are easier to decoy than adults. What is there any other type of movement or tricks that you're implementing in a spread to, to try to get these birds to to put their wings down and, and come in? Uh, we'll run some motion from time to time. The the old Silasoc rotary machine is still a good one. And then right when the Snow Goose clones came out, they were they were good. But uh, we found, you know, on cloudy days that the motion is, is not what they want. And 
tip the creek. Want it on the on the sunny days, so mm-hmm. um, it just depends. It all depends on the scenario and, and how many geese you're hunting. If it's a hard feed, is how we decide if if we're going to run motion or not. Okay. Uh, when does the tip? When does the season start, and when does the geese typically start to move back north? Uh, it opens always typically February first, and just depending on weather. Um, this year. I think today is start of the full moon, so it's kind of good going into the last week of duck season. Um, but what we have starting next Monday, February 1st, should stay all of February. Now, if we get a bunch of south wind ripping 30 miles an hour, like a false early spring, um, we might have, we might lose a few or, you know, there's always been those weird years where we get a late front and, those ones that are sitting southeast Arkansas or Oklahoma or in the Panhandle end up finally making it down, but then mm-hmm. they'll typically only stay for probably two weeks because then it, you know how it is in the early spring, it yeah. starts to get hot and, you know, people are losing water and not pumping anymore. And then they just decide to head on back. Right on. Um, well, certainly have enjoyed the conversation today, Chris, uh, the uh, I, I've I've been on a couple conservation hunts, never on a good one. So I need to get down there and and uh, hunt with you this season. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give your contact info if folks would like to to book a hunt and uh, and and also you know where exactly you're located if if people are going to stay in a hotel or if you have a lodge. Uh, give us the details on all that stuff. No, um, we're typically hunting from El Campo to the Eagle Lake, um, which is about an hour hour to hour and a half west of Houston, um, have a lodge, and then also get some guys to stay at the hotels, just depending on, on the situation, if we have duck hunters at the farm and, and whatnot. Um, but other than that, you can reach me at my phone number, which is 832-466-9646, and don't answer, just leave a message and get back to you as soon as I can. Well, you got to also give us your Instagram because that's where people can see just I, that that video you posted of all those snows yesterday. I mean, I don't know how many thousands it was, but it was impressive. And um, you're updating that daily with your hunts and uh, scouting reports. Yes, yeah, sir. Sure. So the the farm is uh, at Pin Oak Farms on Instagram, and then my personal page is Ducked Up eighty eight. Ducked Up eighty eight. Okay. Yes. Well, cool stuff, Chris. Man, I certainly appreciate it, and hopefully we can get one of those hunts on the books for this season. Yes, sir. I'd love to have you down here and show you a good time. All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you. There you have it. Everything you need to know about conservation snow geese. That segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, whether you want it for running cattle, recreating, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of Dodge, man. City life's becoming crazy these days. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own slice of paradise for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Coming up next, we'll check in with Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. California is at it again. We discuss next on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Let it blow, let it blow. Let it blow, illusion like she melts just 
Cactus Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. The harder you work, the luckier you get. The more you get done, more the less you regret. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show powered by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, condolences out to the Larry King family. Lost him this week. Truly a legend in radio and entertainment. And I, I don't know how he got that voice. Probably smoking three packs a day. He did go into the hospital with COVID. But if anyone's been paying attention... He didn't die of COVID. He just died of old age. Imagine that. <laughs> now that the uh, election and inauguration are over, COVID no longer a thing, right? So Larry King just died of natural causes. Uh, just happened to have COVID at the same time. Uh, anyway, we've got a great guest lined up for you here. He's a longtime friend of the show. I'm a big fan of his organization. He is the VP of, I think, policy marketing i don't know but anyway uh brian lynn of sportsman's alliance a great organization that keeps their finger on the pulse of anti-hunting and anti-trapping legislation across all 50 states it's a thankless job guarantee you that but it is my pleasure to welcome brian back to the show awesome to be here buddy yeah i like that uh this is the first time we've ever done it on zoom and I guess the silver lining from COVID is you can actually see the people that you're talking to <laughs> instead of always over the phone. And uh -huh. I can see a black bear, a bunch of uh, turkey fans on the wall back there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I got three out of the four species there and uh, my couple of black bears hanging. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Some yeah, of three of the, which one are you lacking for your turkey slam? Oh, let's see, the Goulds there and, yeah, whatever the one, one down in Florida there. Yeah, that's oh, the, the Osceola? The Osceola, yeah, that's the one. Okay. So, yeah. Rock on. Yeah, I'm still stuck on one. I've and you know, I've killed quite a few of them, but I just uh, go after those dumb Rios. <laughs> yeah, I like the dumb ones. <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Um, but I do have uh, uh, an Eastern turkey hunt on the book, so be the, my first time chasing those. It's different than the Rios for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, hey, we've got a lot to get into today as. Congress um, 
is back in session. And so I noticed you all's social media kind of, it didn't go dark, but essentially kind of winded down there close to the, uh, you know, over the holidays, certainly up to New Year's. But that's because there wasn't really much going on legislative wise. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, you know, it comes in these waves when the different state, state sessions kick off and get going. And, you know, during the election and summertime months and, you know, everybody's campaigning. So nothing's actually happening. So it slows right. down and I can find some stuff to put up there and keep it going. And uh, we've got a lot of other initiatives I've been pulled into. So we've been a little lacking on social, <laughs> but now it's it's fired back yeah. up. I've noticed. All, all the session or all the states are back in session. And so the next 90 days are just going to be crazy with crazy legislation coming in and, and moving through the different states, every, all these mm-hmm. different bills. So yeah, it's going to get nuts now. Well, let's start off with a positive and that is North Dakota. It's really the only positive one I've seen <laughs> so far. Uh, hunting wise, but they're going to offer more opportunity for their apprentice um, hunting program. So I guess you know, we had a lot of new hunters take to the woods due to COVID looking for something to do. And possibly, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with trying to put venison or wild game in the freezer, you know, kind of when hard times roll around, that's what folks do get back to their roots. So this North Dakota uh, initiative it would, I guess, give those folks who are who are first-time hunters that an extra year of uh, apprentice ability. Yeah, so our the the Families of Field Act, uh, it's in what forty-two different states now, in some form or another. Mm-hmm. It's a program we've undertaken. It was it's us, National Shooting Sports Foundation, NRA, and National Wild Turkey Federation, and it you know basically is it started off as a youth program. Like, hey, let's get these kids in there before they have to take hunter's ed. And some for some, a lot of hunters are like, wait a minute, you're, you're going to put kids out there or people out there that don't take hunter's ed? That's not safe. That's not what the data shows, you know, and we've been yeah. doing this for quite a while. And under the watchful eye of, of a mentor, you know, it's basically an apprentice program. You know, I get to take my kid out and, you know, he learns from me and I teach him or take another kid out or whatever. Yeah. And so we took that everywhere. And then we're like, wait a minute, first time hunter is a first time hunter. doesn't matter if it's a kid or a 40 year old, you know, mm-hmm. and as adults, we have busier lives. We can't commit to, you know, back in the day before things went online more, you know, a week of classes after school when you got kids, sports, work, everything else. Right. Plus it's a time and monetary investment. And so we started changing it. So it's like, Hey, if, you want to try this, you go with somebody. That's the catch is you always have to be with a licensed hunter. And Mm -hmm. so you can try out basically try before you buy type deal is try out hunting and try to get people in the door and liking it and then going on to become licensed hunters. And all the data is showing that if you can do it for three or more years where they get to repetitively go out and experience this, they're likely to become a licensed buyer, a full-time licensed buyer and invest in the lifestyle. Uh, but different states have different ways of doing it. Like I'm in Washington state. It's one year for once, you know, you get yeah. to do it. And that's the same thing in North Dakota is you get one year and that's it. But because of COVID, they're saying anybody who bought a license, apprentice license this year 
is it's moving forward to buy another one for next year. So you yeah. get, get that year again. Okay, cool. Yeah, Texas, we don't have any apprentice uh, program, but you can buy your hunting license and get like a one-year deferral on your hunter education, which yes, is that's mandatory. It. Yeah, it's the so same. Similar. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's and it, it changes. It goes by apprentice license, mentored license, deferrals, things like yeah. that. That's yeah. that's what it is. Well, so that's cool. Um, heading back to Texas, and this one was kind of frustrating to see coming out of my own state. Uh, and this was, I think, from the Texas Senate. Senator Royce West has introduced SB 323, which would affect well, the way I'm looking at it. I mean, it would affect all dog breeders, you know, your, your mom and pop, your backyard breeder, your, for where I'm coming from, I've got a bun in the oven with my trainer and we've been waiting on this litter forever. Um, getting another chocolate female and Rusty, he actually texted me yesterday that the sonogram confirmed that uh, we're going to be having a puffy here pretty soon, which I'm so excited about Bella's 10 now so it's getting to that point where she's not going to be put out to pasture but you know by the time god willing she makes it to 12 well it's be time to start thinking about slowing down and and semi-retirement um if she's still healthy maybe on her occasionally um but i'm looking at at rusty my my trainer a friend of mine i'm thinking this is going to affect his livelihood big time yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's really the catch, especially you know in Texas, and you know, there's a lot of bird dog guys and houndsmen who have more than one or two or three dogs, and uh, you know it's going to catch a lot of guys. That's our big problem with it. Is so yeah. what this bill does is it lowers the threshold from eleven in intact females down right. to five, completely eliminates the number of transfers. So if you have five females that are intact and you breed one of them once and have one puppy and give that away as pick of the litter or whatever else, sell it, you are now a commercial breeder and you're subject to all the taxes, fees, permits, inspections, and everything else that come with that. Mm-hmm. And so that is, has the potential to catch a lot of sporting dog kennels, yeah. whether they're big or small, trainers, you know, the hobby breeder, you know, I don't know how, how big your buddy is, but you know, you have a a litter or two every year or two. And, uh, those guys are going to be caught up in this. And what it ultimately does is has the potential to really impact our bloodlines and the ability to trade dogs, sell dogs to each other and produce good hunting dogs without becoming monetarily onerous. Yeah. You know, Cause those fees get passed along somewhere. Sure. You know? Yeah. So. Passed, passed on to you and I, the consumer, um, Okay, well, so that's unfortunate, and I don't know how much life this thing has uh, as far as Texas voting to approve something like that, but it's uh, certainly bad news from the standpoint of, like you said, those sporting dog kennels. Uh, and, and a lot of dog trainers have a kennel to, you know, they've got to do both to make a living, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, I'd say the majority of them do. Whether yeah. they're raising Britneys or Labs or hog dogs, all, all those, all the houndsmen, the hog dogging guys here in Texas are buy, buying and trading dogs all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you need more than one dog. It's not like your duck hunter where you can get by with one dog for 10 years. Right. You usually have a string of dogs, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of hog, you know, hog dogs or whatever, you know, those big game dogs, you run in a pack 
you know, and with the bird dogs, you can run them in a brace of a couple and uh, swap them out and rotate so they don't overheat. So you, ha- it's easy to have five females. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that's a, it's a concern, uh, you know, which the dog stuff is what we see come out of Texas the most or dog regulations of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hopefully we'll get that shot down here. What about the Connecticut uh, proposed ban on African big game? Uh, is it? I think it's an import ban, which we've seen this in California. We've seen it other places. Is uh, these morons just don't understand that hunting is conservation? And if you take the value away from these African species, I've been to Africa. I'm going in February to hunt one of these animals, uh, Cape buffalo. If the if the the Africans doesn't matter what country. But if those people don't see value, they are not going to keep those animals around and that land will be converted into ag or it'll be grazed. You know, they'll put cattle and goats on there and that'll be the end of it. And I don't blame them, man. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it becomes an economic issue at, at the base level. But like you said, this is something we've seen time again, time and mm-hmm. again. And C- Connecticut's had uh, two or three versions of this come up in the last couple of sessions. Um they just keep wanting to push it. Uh, and so, yeah, this, you know, Cape Buffalo isn't on this one. Okay. But, uh, the rhinos, lions, leopards, elephants, and giraffes. Are- well, now we've got the giraffe. So I guess yeah. the giraffe has taken kind of the Cape Buffalo's place as the fifth wheel because it's always been the big five. You know, that's what trophy hunters, uh, there's some esteem there when you take the big five. Now it's they're wanting to make it the big six because we got to throw the giraffe in there because they're spotted and have long necks and look pretty. Yeah, seem peaceful yet will kill lions. Right. Um, But uh, yeah, so we see this. Connecticut's a big one. It's come up in Jersey before. New York, uh, California, of course, it Mm -hmm. made it through the House in California last year. Made it through the Senate, but it didn't make it by the deadline. And so, it's, oh yeah, that was so weird. That's with the California thing. Yeah, that you know, and and actually before that, the governor before Brown there, he uh, he actually vetoed it, which was surprising. You know, we were we were completely surprised by that. He vetoed it, said it was unenforceable, and then they brought it back with Gavin Newsom. And, you guys, a moron, by the way. Yeah, Gosh, I cannot stand him. Hey, yeah. you guys close your businesses, but I'm going to go over here and sip some wine at my vineyard, which is, by the way, open if you want to come and, you know, buy a $300 bottle of wine. Yeah, know. no, uh, he's he's not a friend of hunters for sure. I mean, his dad was a founder of the Mountain Lion Foundation yeah. and huge animal rights active member. And, you know, so God, if it was, get him out of it, undoubtedly, he probably would have signed it, you know, conjecture wise. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, these are not stopping hunting. It's just stopping the import of the hide afterwards. Right. So, you know, trying to decentivize somebody from going if you can't right. bring the hide home, even though the animal could already be killed and eaten and whatever else, you know, it's trying to stop that. And it's just, it's not even import, it's possession. So, and, you know, I'm not sure if this one is possession. I, it's possession, sale, and transfer. Well, the California uh, one last year certainly was possession. Yes. And yeah. and so even if you have it, now you can't even have it hanging on your wall if you took it before without being able to jump through all these red tape and hoops and pay mm-hmm. taxes and everything else. Again, an economic attack on the on the backside. 
Um, and so, yeah, it just, it becomes ridiculous and they'll want, they'll keep pushing this and they'll push it in these States, get a toehold and keep moving it. And then, you know, if you're looking down the slippery slope, what's to stop the, you know, interstate possession and transfer of domestic wildlife. Mm -hmm. I mean, you easily use chronic wasting of disease or blue tongue or whatever else as a prop to justify saying, well, we shouldn't allow parts to be transferred of deer across state lines. So you can't, you know, you go to Wisconsin or down to Texas and kill a nice buck. You can't bring it back any part of it. So there's the slippery slope domestically of why deer hunters and everybody else should care about this. Yeah. Why would, um, like Texas sends more people West than any other state. We have more hunters. It makes sense, right? We all like to hunt mule deer and elk and pronghorn and various other, uh, cervids, mountain lion, bear. Uh, but I sure as hell not going to be doing that if I can't bring the hide and the meat back or the horns, antlers, whatever, you know, I mean, certainly that's, that's the, the thing people don't realize is the underhanded nature that, uh, the uh, the left or the the anti-hunting faction uses to try to sweep these things under the rug where people aren't really paying attention which is why sportsman's alliance is so important at exposing that kind of stuff so i certainly appreciate everything you guys do that's no secret big fans of y'all's what about trapping on public land in new mexico we've seen this come up uh, new mexico with um i think it was like coyote contests and and stuff like that even last year Yep. Yep. No, it's uh, become pr- fairly unfriendly state uh, for hunters. There's movements, uh, whether it's by executive action by the governor or bills coming in, uh, coyote contests, trapping, you know, it's all on the table. This Senator Gonzalez or Representative Gonzalez has been introducing something similar on and off since 2013. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it, it's a piecemeal approach, you know, take yeah. contests, take trapping, take hounding, take baiting, and then you just extrapolate from there to take the next thing. It's, it's death by a thousand cuts. It's one method and mean at a time, and it's one species at a time. I mean, Wayne Pacelli, the former CEO of the Humane Society of the United States, said it. We're going to take it one species at a time one state at a time. We're going to start in California and move out from there. And that plan is alive and well. California is such low-hanging fruit when it comes to these anti-hunting factions. They recently put up another bill for discussion. The statewide California black bear hunting ban introduced this week by Senator Weiner. That's never going to get old. We'll discuss it next. That segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Ridgeview carbon fiber tripod for higher performance at higher heights and features to get low when you need it. Ridgeview carbon fiber is designed to set a new standard in stability when it comes to a tripod. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. We'll be right back with more on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Quick before your sun goes down. Hey guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. 
If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up and rob you blind, well, you just attach the coon stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and <laughs> the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the coon stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. Yeah, I thought that I knew love Turns out I didn't have a clue Before these walls Before these walls were blue Little Wade Bowen bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show Cable Smith here with you as always. Thanks to Mossberg Firearms as well. Um, man, love Wade's music. He's one of the very few artists that I've reached out to over the last 12 years of doing this that frankly just has no interest in hunting or fishing. So uh, he said if you want to talk about golf, he'd be happy to come on the show. I said, Wade, uh, I'll just keep listening to your music and uh, enjoying that, but I don't think we have a lot else to talk about. <laughs> so... Uh, interesting tidbit about Wade there. This segment of the presentation brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. But here's the cool thing. It's not just a good old boy fraternity of rich white dudes heading over to Africa and trophy hunting. No. This organization is equally as passionate about putting money back into North American conservation. And they do that through a myriad of grants and projects. They put their money where their mouth is, and I genuinely mean that. Um, they are passionate about hunters' rights, conservation, and educating the public about the truth when it comes to sustainable use hunting. I'm a proud member. You can check us out. Become a member yourself by going to safariclub.org. And with that being said, let's pick it back up here with Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. And Brian... We we got to talk about California, man. It's uh, it's very clear that their end game is to end hunting completely, and we've seen that come to the forefront this week with this proposed uh, black bear ban. And you might have seen it. I put it on my Instagram. Just kind of the historical paper trail that these anti hunters have left in California, and it started in 1990 
with the Mount Lion Band, which you just alluded to. Gavin Newsom's dad was, you know, had his hands all in that. Uh, and then 2012, I found out about California's trying to ban black bear hunting and bobcat hunting with hounds. So I, I found an outfitter and interviewed this guy and the poor chap, like his livelihood, half of his annual income depended on that, that bear season and, and the hound, you know, making money up of selling and breeding those hounds. Well, nobody in California needs hounds if you can't run black bears with them or bobcat. So, I mean, it, it totally did away with his way of life, which is in my opinion, a time honored tradition. Houndsmen are people that I respect. They know the land, they know the animals, they know the weather, they know the terrain. They're great outdoorsmen. And there's an art to being able to, to look at a track and say the animal went this way. It's, it's, it's a damn shame. But 2012, they, they banned that. Uh, I think 2019 was the next big thing. And that was, uh, well, uh, actually in 2019, they banned all trapping, commercial and recreational in California. Yep. And then bobcats also. Yeah. So the endangered California bobcat. Yeah. That's what I like to refer to it as. Yeah. So no yeah, more bobcat that, that hunting. Yeah, that that one they were really smart on. They they played a little dirty there. They uh they banned it until 2025. Yeah. And before they can bring it back, they have to do a comprehensive study, which will require hiring two full-time people, two or three full-time people. At any rate, the cost to bring it back will it be a $2.7 million just mm -hmm. to talk about bringing it back, just to conduct the study and do it all, which it comes out to like, so they ban it and they say, we didn't ban it. We just wanted to take a look at it and study it more. And if you want right. to bring it back, you have to meet these parameters of the studying, which costs $3 million, but you're only going to net $42,000 a year off of Bobcat permits. It doesn't make economic sense is what they'll say in five years. Sure. Sure. So it's, well, it's, I always like it when you, you know, you see uh, a, a bobcat carrying off little Fido, like a Opsalopsa or some other, a Shih Tzu, some little, I call them punter, little lap dogs. Yeah, yeah, that, dogs. That I think uh, it was on, it was an anchorman where he punts Baxter off the bridge. Uh, <laughs> that's what I refer to those dogs as punters. My parents have one terrible thing. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, if you don't want your dogs getting carried off by bobcats, stop voting for these idiots. Yeah, that's yeah. all I can say to the California people. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to keep laughing at it when I see when I see those videos of their pets getting carried off by bobcats, coyotes, mountain lions on their front porch that, you know, yeah. everyone's got a yeah, that's the uh, one uh, everyone's the got a camera that, on their porch these days. And you can see these mountain lions coming and just picking off pets. And I just jump, love it over the they jump over the six and a half foot privacy fence without yeah. a problem. Oh, yeah. But, the big problem is, is that the legislators introducing this stuff, such as the ban, uh, the black bear ban in California now, and his constituencies, it's not going to impact them. Mm -hmm. there, there, you know, isn't going to be too many mountain lions and black bears in downtown San Francisco. Sure. You know, that are sure. picking off pets and whatever else. So they don't have to deal with it. It's the people further out away from there that have to deal with it, that are on that interface where they, they do come into it, but you know, that's not going to get heard. And when it does, it gets brushed aside as being rare. Well, it's rare because we managed to them properly before. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So 2021, this is the, the end all be all black bear ban that would do away with 
the harvest of black bears completely. completely. And y'all's page, I think you had got the numbers from California Department of uh, Fish and Game, and uh, it was like thirty to forty thousand black bears. The, yeah, is their estimated population? You think about that, um, and I think because of the the hound hunting ban, hunters were only taking like just over a thousand bears a year or something like that. Not yeah. very many. Uh, yeah, they're, and, they're, the quota was I think seventeen hundred bears. Yeah, and they weren't getting to it. No, they were getting like 900 to 1,000, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, you, you remove bait and bears and everything else where you can judge the animal and you can, you know, make harvest goals easier. You know, the hound stuff, is, you can release them. It's catch and release hunting. Like, yeah, you don't even have to kill them. You can just catch them and leave them. I've caught – I've been with the houndsmen. We've caught – I think we caught five mountain lions over – three different trips and only one of them died. So there is certainly the catch and release aspect and he doesn't ever kill him. He just runs, runs the dogs for fun. Cause he loves to see them work. And he's only, he's been doing it. Uh, name's Wayne Pinnell. He's out of uh, Rangeley, Colorado. He's been doing it 30 years, I believe. And he's killed one mountain lion. It's on his wall. He's like, I don't ever need to kill another one. I'm just, I'm just here for the dogs, you know? Yeah. And of course they, you know, they make, they make him money if he does, 10 cougar hunts a year well then that starts to add up but but in the off season he's running them all the time just absolutely loves it um so okay so that's what's going on in california what are the odds of that getting passed i'd have to think pretty good because we saw how california voted in the last election and that's i think these politicians feel empowered because they know that what if it's only 25 percent of of californians value hunting and fishing right they don't care about those people. It doesn't mean anything to them. The LA, San Francisco populations are going to keep voting for them. And so they really have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, you, you'd think you'd like to think that there's be enough different representatives um, that from those rural areas that would make noise and put political pressure in there, but it's California. Mm-hmm. I mean, they banned bobcat hunting. They banned mountain lion hunting. They banned traps. They've banned everything. Uh, you know, even the the import stuff from Africa. Like we said, it went all. It was on its way to the governor's desk. You know, it just didn't quite make the deadline. So, yeah. literally, you never know what's going to happen in California. So those folks and whoever else needs to call them and make noise and you know call Fish and Game, the California Fish and Game and put pressure on them, tell them to step up and start voicing an opinion. You know, it uh, may not do any good since they're politi- pretty politically tied to Newsom, but enough people calling and complaining and, you know, telling them, like, what's the point of ha- having biologists now? If we're if just going to neuter them. Yeah, if we're just going to yeah. take all the tools and, and just tell them what to do anyways through oh. ballot initiatives or anything else. What's the point? Save the yeah. money. Yeah. You needed to control the animals anyways. Exactly. They're they're paying. I wish they they would release the dollar amount that they are spending on paid government trappers that are having to remove excess mountain lions and soon to be black bear. Yeah. Uh 40,000 and you don't think that they're going to have to take I don't know. It's for sure the 1,000 that hunters were taking probably more than that as the population continues continues to expand so uh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it it went up to thirty to forty thousand from like fifteen or twenty thousand with hunting. 
Yeah. You know, so now you remove hunting um, and do that. And you, you look, uh, Ryan Sabalo has some great articles in the Sacramento Bee on the mountain lion stuff and the bear stuff. Um, he, he does a really good job covering this. Mm. Um, he wrote a piece on what's going on in Lake Tahoe where bears are actually teaching their cubs how to break into the cabins hmm. and search for food. So literally like they are seeing cabins and people as sources of food in Tahoe. And there's a crazy bear lady up there wanting to protect them. If they, she sees a trap from fishing game out there, <laughs> she'll set it off. She'll pee on it, whatever. Uh, um, you know, but uh, God. they're, they're breaking into cabins out there and the, the animal rights crowd is like, well, you should let them have it. They were here first. It's a cabin for God's sakes. Like people right. built it to live. That's like, well, then uh, you know what? You shouldn't, you should basically just not live. I mean, you, you, you don't think that they didn't exist in the cities at one point in time. Like wh how hypocritical is that? That, that adage of they were, the animals were here first is just such a crock. You know what? Uh, this is, a, it's, it's, we're the apex species it's our job to manage all the other species or whether you believe it like biblically or not it doesn't matter to me we have dominion over all the animals we're the smartest this science yeah so we have the biggest influence on the ecosystem yeah. and the habitat like it would be irresponsible to build cities and towns and farms all around this habitat and then not manage it for the best health of the environment mm -hmm. and the wild animals like yeah. overpopulation disease starvation so just let them break in. You know, we have that in Texas, but it's with illegal immigrants coming across from Mexico. And it's usually happens at people's uh, deer camps um, in South Texas. And most of the people I know down there now don't even lock the stuff up. They just don't leave anything valuable. And they leave like uh, a, a gallon of water, sometimes a loaf of bread or some, you know, some canned goods that these people can just have access to. It's better than them breaking in. And, uh, you know, I, I not, again, I don't blame illegals for wanting to come there's a better life here the yeah. system might be broken but sure i mean if i was in their position probably do the same thing just like these bears but that's a whole nother rabbit hole um i'm not sure if there's anything else that was real pressing of course oregon still wants to ban beaver trapping which is just absolutely mind-boggling yeah last year so last year they tried a citizen's petition and the game commission shot it down mm -hmm. so this year they got a gal down there on the California border in the Medford area, a rural Democrat to introduce a bill to do the same thing. So they try the petitions, they try the legislative route, they'll try the court sometimes, and eventually they go to the ballot initiative. And then yeah. it's just a popularity contest and who can buy Is that the what they're doing now, the ballot uh, initiative? No, right now it's we're at the legislative stage. Okay. So... You know, I mean, the ballot initiative is is why we have wolves that are going to be dumped back into Colorado. Yes, yeah, exactly. So. How trapping and hounding and baiting got banned here in Washington and Oregon, and mm -hmm. and line stuff in California was all done by ballot initiative. Uh, tried to ban trapping on public land in Montana, of all places. You know, four or five years ago. Yeah. Tried to take yeah. bear hunting in Maine. That's all ballot initiative stuff. That. A simple majority wins and it comes down to media buys. And Why even have fish and wildlife services on a state yeah. level? You know, just let the uh, the bleeding hearts decide for everybody. So, yeah, that's that's what they're trying to do and destroy the model of uh, conservation wildlife. 
And I started reading my son this book about uh, it's called Who Was Theodore Roosevelt. And so we're just we haven't gotten into the the hunting part. We just kind of got in the background. You know, he went to Harvard and did all these other things and um was a pretty good boxer. So my he's starting to become infatuated with him and we haven't even gotten to the uh the the meat of the story. So nice. Yeah, trying to do away with his legacy in 2021 that's what the (laughs) that's what these ballot initiatives want to do yep Um, so meanwhile africa's trying to emulate what what he put into place here yeah and And, uh, and where they're doing it it's expanded wildlife is expanded where they're not not and and americans have the audacity to tell them not you know that we should have the ultimate say in their wildlife management so yeah eco-colonialism yeah well, hey, great stuff as always, Brian. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Why don't you give us y'all's contact? Um, I know the Instagram is Sportsmen's All uh, for Sportsmen's Alliance. Uh, what about website? And I don't, I don't know if you guys have Facebook. I'm trying. I can't really phase myself out of Facebook because you know you're trying to run a business. But I think the writing's on the wall for all of us that uh, we're all, we're all on life support over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah. So Sportsmen's Alliance on Facebook. And sportsmensalliance.org for the website. That's M-E-N-S, sportsmensalliance.org. And that's where all the stuff comes out. You can sign up for your state's uh, alerts and to receive our weekly emails of a, a grouping of what's been going on for the week. Awesome. Well, hey, I always appreciate the conversation and uh, look forward to the next time. Awesome. Thank you, Cable. All right, our good friend Brian Lynn of Sportsmen's Alliance. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Big and Jay's Deadly Dust. Whitetail season has come and gone for most of us, but there are always hogs to hunt down south, and that deadly dust works magic on them. Four of us went on a weekend-long hog hunt a couple weeks back. I gave each one of the guys a bag of deadly dust. All of us had hogs that are set up that same day. It was crazy. And you can find Deadly Dust at BigandJ.com. Up next, what does this flurry of executive orders signed by Biden in his first week of office mean for hunting and conservation? We discuss on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Saturday Satan, Sunday Saint, fooling your neighbors, that's what you think, reading the good. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I can hear the rhythm of the river 
breaking of the waves Beneath the bridge A ship sits out to sea They say time's a healer A part-time believer In the bells of Bristol Bristol is the name of that one from our very own Guthrie Kennard, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We have got an interesting topic to get into as uh, President Biden, uh, I don't even know how his pen hasn't run out of ink yet, as far as all these executive orders he signed in the first week of, of being in office. He certainly set records. Uh, Obama signed five and Trump signed four. Biden's up to 32 at this point. And we'll take a look at how a couple of them might affect hunting and conservation going forward. Uh, And we'll do that with SCI's Director of Government Affairs, Ben Cassidy. But before Ben joins us from D.C., this segment of the show brought to you by Stealth Cam and the new Fusion wireless cell camera. And Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. And with that being said, let's bring him on right now, our good friend, Ben Cassidy of SCI. Thanks for being here. Always great to be back. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Certainly uh, certainly enjoying our conversations. A um, lot to get into today. And we'll start with President Biden, this flurry of executive orders. It's so ironic because I was just telling you off the air, like, I saw this video. He was being interviewed um, leading up to the election about uh, the use of executive orders. And he said, no, we need to get the votes. We need to get the votes. Executive orders, the abuse of that is a sign of a dictator. And then here (laughs) he comes in just like, I don't even think he knows what he's signing, to be fair to Biden. like He's 78, clearly isn't mentally all there, uh, which is tells you all, all you need to know about the state of our country. We elected like a guy who's you know, knocking on the door of the nursing home. And he, he, I don't really think he does know what he's signing a lot of the time. Uh, well, people just put it on his desk and he's like, okay, I, I guess I'll sign that. And he fumbles around with his pen right. for an hour and then eventually signs it. As, as long as his pen still has ink in it, he's still right. going to be able to do his job, right? <laughs> yeah. To have paper will sign. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been head spinning just to see all the executive orders or EOs that we've seen coming mm-hmm. out, you know, from racial equity to climate change to this whole you know review of all these different rules and regulations most sweeping one we've seen basically everything under the microscope from the last four years you know being reviewed to see if it's in keeping with you know national objectives and a a few that we were talking about off the air you know that are of concern to us and we do you know strongly feel like those ones that were put in place in the last four years do meet national objectives so we're talking with interior to, to to defend those yeah, yeah, it what? is funny to see when you have the big broad message of of unity and bringing everyone together, ending the uncivil war, but at the same time doing something unilaterally without any input from you know elected representatives. Yeah, it's kind of two mouths, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, which is not surprising to be frank. Um, but the one that I I think is the most alarming from a a conservation, uh, sustainable use hunting standpoint. This executive order, it's titled Protecting Public Health and Environment and Restoring Science to Tackle the Climate Crisis. So what what in the hell is that? Uh, 
two bullet points that you actually sent out in your newsletter um, that were included in this are the uh, the Africa uh, not Africa the Alaskan situation where um, trapping and hunting on, I think it was uh, on federal land or maybe it was even one specific piece of federal land uh, Trump restored Alaskans ability to do that this would potentially target that and then thank God we just had this monumental decision of of delisting the gray wolf, something yep. we've been fighting for forever and something that should be celebrated, whether you were for wolf reintroduction or you weren't and whether it was done in the right way, all of that is in the past and it doesn't really frankly amount to hill of a hill of beans in 2021. Um, but from like a success story, they're recovered Yep, and they're doing well. So let's, let's celebrate. celebrate it. Yeah. And uh, so Trump was able to get that, the, the gray wolf delisted and, and now it appears the writing's on the wall that they're just going to go right back on the endangered species. Uh, list. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, 20 years of seeing these lawsuits where it's delisted and then challenged and then gets put back on the list. Right. You know, Fish and Wildlife Service gets sent packing home with their lunch every time. You know, go back to the drawing board. I think SCI, you know, we've been involved in 10 cases on delisting the wolf over the years since I think 2005. And now just sign us up for we're going to get involved in three more because there's been three filed by all, you know, the uh, anti-hunting animal rights groups. And um, surprisingly, they've all been filed in the Northern District of California. Um, uh, most friendly court to them, least friendly to, to conservation, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, it's, like it's the ESA doing what it's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to recover these iconic species and get them back to where they don't need to be under federal protections anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and we've achieved that and, you know, across the landscape and this rule, you know, has it and we're, and, and, and we're going to be there to defend it. Um, but going back to the executive order, you know, that was one of the ones that was listed um, to be reviewed, you know, the direction from, from Biden down to the agencies, Department of Interior mm -hmm. and the Fish and Wildlife Service saying, does this delisting, you know, meet our national objectives, you know, and it's going to be on hunters to really speak up and, and tell, you know, the Fish and Wildlife Service while they're in this, you know, 30 day uh, review period to let them know that it, that it does meet national objective. It is a success story. It is here to be celebrated right. um, and, 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 and repeated for other species. So we're, we're having our conversations. We're sending our letters into, you know, the interim secretary and folks working at a uh, fish and wildlife service. And we're going to be calling on, you know, Safari club international members um, to, to join us in, uh, in making sure that this uh, review ends with it being upheld. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, so that's obviously very concerning. This thing's just never going to go away. Wolves just get everyone wound up. Yeah. Uh, and it's not really the, uh, it doesn't get you and I wound up. We just, I personally, and I'm speaking for you, but I'm sure you'd agree. Wolves are just another animal that need to be managed. I don't like love them any more than a white-tailed deer. I don't hate them. Right. Uh, I admire them, but you can't manage all of these cervids and not, and then pretend like, oh yeah, but by the way, we don't need to manage the animals that prey upon them. Like it's, it's asinine. Yeah. I mean, for, for, for the lawsuits in California, you know, you've got to demonstrate injury. So the, the party that, that is trying to show injury, they're in California saying that, you know, taking these federal protections away would take away their ability to hear their howl at night. You know, um, there isn't even a wolf in the northern district in that area, though. So where's right. that injury? Why didn't they just take the case to Michigan or Wyoming and fight it out there? Because they know right. it'd be dead on arrival. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> there would be wolves around the courthouse. So, yeah, yeah it's just... 
it's a hairy one. Um, I'd expect that we're going to keep fighting it for, for some time, but what about the other component of this, uh, protecting public health and environment and yeah. restoring science to tackle the climate crisis? Uh, the, um, the situation in Alaska and there's, there was a lot made of, uh, Deb Howland, um, the New Mexico politician who Biden, uh, appointed or nominated for, um, um, the secretary of the interior and a lot of hunting groups have the fear that she is more of a preservationist rather than a conservationist, meaning the sustainable use hunting model is not important to her. Just preserving the land kind of as is, is what she would focus on. And, and this is a prime example of that. I'm not saying that she has anything to do with it, uh, at this point, but this would basically take the uh, the right that these Alaskans gained during the Trump administra- administration to hunt and trap um, on federal land, it would take it back away from them. Right. I mean, at, at the core of this issue is it's whether or not you think that the folks, the, the, the people of Alaska should be able to manage their own wildlife. Um, and it's always across the board than our position and you know, Hunter's position that, you know, our state DNRs, you know, our state wildlife management authorities, they're the ones that should be making these decisions. So this one relates to non-subsistence hunting, you know, on national preserves. Um, it was a rule put in place um, under Obama. It was a re- reversed with the Congressional Review Act by President Trump. Um, and now they're going to be putting it under another review. It's, um, you know, used as a big fundraising um, ploy by, by animal rights groups. You know, they'll talk about all these, you know, you know, wolf pups and denning bears and everything. But really at matter is, you know, how we allow states to manage their wildlife resources. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I, remember don't even, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, don't get an Alaskan started on this. I mean, it, it just is it, obviously very infuriating for anyone to, to see this sort of federal overreach. Yeah. I remember the propaganda when Trump um, overturned that yep. uh, Obama era piece of uh, legislation. And it was all like hunters clubbing wolves in their den, wolf pups and, you know, killing hibernating black bear or black bears and, you know, stuff like that, which yeah, it's just a bunch of BS. I mean, sensationalized. Yeah, Absolutely. obviously we don't do that. Wouldn't that's not what hunting is. That's poaching on um, what hunter wants to kill bear cubs and wolf pups. Yeah, yeah, you're you're not gonna find one of those hunts for sale at our convention. You know? yeah, I mean, <laughs> just sensationalized to the max. Big time. Um, what about COVID nineteen in Africa? Potentially, you know, and, and I'm supposed to go to Africa in February. I've got to take a test when I seventy two hours before I leave. I've got to take a test while I'm there, like uh, seventy two hours before I can come back. Biden just passed this travel ban, uh, so I've been talking to my outfitter every day. And um, it looks like Americans are still going to be allowed to go and come back. It's just South Africans can't come here. Yeah. doesn't really make a lot of sense, but okay, whatever. Um, the hunting is going to take place, but they've been, and they've been devastated. They've lost 15 months. Right. They lost it all last year. You know, they didn't even have a season. COVID really could impact how Africans view uh, the value of those animals. If it keeps going on. Um, yeah. Like there's a signing of that executive order also that expanded the travel ban to include South Africa. And that is for, you know, South African nationals coming here to the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of those outfitters and 
maybe, maybe the one that, that Jude met and, and, you know, you know, signed up with, you know, they use this time because at a season, it's the one time that they're not guiding to come to the United States and meet in person, you know, and, and, and book some of these hunts. So yeah. them being prevented from doing that, you know, critical piece of their business, I mean, can be completely devastating to, to miss two seasons. Um, a lot of these, you know, folks like this is their primary, you know, income job source. It's full time. It's all the time. And just taking that away from them is just utterly devastating. And then yeah. what it does for just resources on the ground in Africa and anti-poaching efforts. I mean, it's just across trickle, the board trickle down effect for so sure. bad for conservation so bad for livelihoods you know yeah. our hearts and minds go out to everyone there i mean that's why we're doing you know share the impact and love to do another share the impact to just try to keep on doing what we can to to help folks you know during this awful time because it's not getting any easier especially with you know the travel ban that was just signed mm -hmm. yeah i mean you think about show season and the uh sci convention is a big part of that and a lot of these outfitters do book the majority of their business and in that month that they basically they come for the whole month of January and they just go from show to show to show with yep. you know their same booth um, but it's all you know big part of that is maintaining those relationships and uh yeah just to not be able to do that it's devastating what about Portugal Portugal is not really a country that i hear mentioned in like outdoor related <laughs> news very frequently but they're they apparently have made headlines here recently well um specifically with portugal taking over the presidency of, of yeah. the eu so yeah. i mean yeah so 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 that's turns over to different countries and right now they're you know holding this seat of the presidency um uh, so they're going to have a lot of say into you know environmental decisions um you know habitat decisions that go on so you know fortunately we have you know um Portuguese uh, citizens on staff um, over in Portugal uh, to, to help track it and get, get inroads there. So we're able to just keep our, you know, sustainable use model in front of them when they're having um, their, their debates and decisions on, you know, things that are going to be coming up as priorities down the road. What's the mindset of, of across most of like first world Europe, as far as hunting, uh, I mean, I know like in the UK, it's all of it is pretty much done in game preserves. They've, they've done it. I always laugh on social yeah. media when somebody, a British person tries to talk to me about conservation and I'm just like, oh, really? So tell me about your wildlife, what your, your conservation right. model. I mean, they call it the North American model for a reason, right? right. I mean, I think if like it, it there isn't really that middle class of hunter that you'd have over there as, as, uh -huh. as widespread. I mean, that's what makes our, our system so uniquely different is it doesn't matter, you know, what level you are like in the economic scale, like right. anybody can get out there, like just the access to public lands and everything that is completely foreign, literally, you know, to, to folks over there. I mean, the tradition is as old as time, you know, right in Europe. I mean, they're doing it obviously before we were, they, they brought it over here, um, for like the way we do it. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's a, it's a different approach. It's not the same sort of, you know, grassroots. And that's really, you know, what makes it so compelling, um, here, here, here in the U S is how everyone's involved in it. Everyone plays a piece in it. Um, and, and, you know, hunters are that central tool for conservation rather than it being, you know, a, a top, down approach like you'd see in europe mm -hmm. 
Uh, it's always it's always fascinating, and there's still a bunch of great um, hunting opportunity there. You know, like Spain has a bunch of mountain hunting. Oh yeah, um, I know there's. Uh, I've seen outfitters from Poland at the various uh, shows uh, over the years. So I know that, the, like you said, the tradition is rich, but it certainly isn't uh, every. It's not the common man's thing, like it certainly is here in North America. Yeah, but I mean, great opportunities. Like, like we're preparing to to go over to Hungary. They're having a World Hunting Expo. It's a three week exposition in Budapest. You know, oh, wow. late September to the middle October, and that'll have folks come in from across the globe. But I mean, that is a key part of like a Hungarian identity. I mean, and the hunting out there with you know stag. I mean, it's really a stag driven culture. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, I mean, it's it, it's the real deal. So they're putting it on. I think it's the hundredth anniversary from the first one they did, you know, oh, wow. for a hunting expo. So okay. it's kind of that grand old school, you know, pavilion million people coming through. So, I mean, we're, we're looking at a post COVID kind of lift, but it, it's shaping up to be pretty awesome. Yeah. Who knows how that's all going to play out? Like if yeah. they're going to require, and not just from like, of course we're coming at it from, from a hunting standpoint, um, traveling, doing a lot, a lot of traveling, for hunting related trips you probably um both for hunting and business just uh, like you know these meetings and stuff what's going on with conservation across the globe sci is very involved um in all of that um but will they make us all take vaccines who knows are you gonna have to show some kind of card that says you've had the vaccine or like i think um well i have to get that uh negative test but i also have had COVID in the last three months so I think there's even a loophole there that's, that says, Hey, I don't even have to have the negative test. So right. it's you all the up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all kind of being hashed out as we speak, but yeah, seeing that it could be get a test to go international, get a test to go to New York. If you wanted to go, I mean, even domestically, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it go say hi to Cuomo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's a new frontier. Um, but yeah, I mean, just thinking about hunting and you know, the, self-isolation that's like the essence of it you know like can't we be the guinea pigs for how to do it right with just crossing say the canadian border you know it's it's mind-blowing that i am about to embark on an african safari third week of february but yet i can't go to canada to hunt black bear this spring it's brutal and again we're talking about people's livelihoods you know there's folks that just they depend on americans coming up over the border um to to guide them. And that's just been yeah. completely taken away, even though it flies in the face of reason. Again, it's mm-hmm. self-isolation. Nobody's, you know, blending in, you're driving yourself there. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm pleading with, with parliament in, in Ottawa to just use hunters as guinea pigs for how to do it safely and then move on from there. <laughs> yeah. Sign me up, sign me up. I, I'll, uh, if they don't open it back up for the spring, I'll have lost two bear hunts there in the last year. So you still got your bear up above you, right? Yep, yep, yep. Still got that one. Go ahead of that me. One, <laughs> that one's uh, that one's from Alberta. Alberta. Yeah. Once again, Canada got great fishing opportunity there too with the Boundary oh, Waters. Oh yeah. Um, that's all a great trip that I've enjoyed. I think my dad and brothers and I and some some friends from the church I grew up in have done that one four times for smallmouth and pike. And my dad, who's a much better fisherman than me, has caught some monster lake trout. I just am in the canoe with them and I'm like, what did you catch that on again? <laughs> How deep were you? Uh, did you do yeah. like the whole portage, like carrying the oh yeah. canoe yeah. from hole to hole? That's awesome. That's yeah. like bucket list for me to do boundary waters. Did you? So the first one we did was like 10 years ago. And my dad would have been like mid fifties. 
now he's like mid sixties and uh I'm the one that we used to portage together. I'm usually the one that has to schlep the canoe a half a mile now. <laughs> I'm looking at him like, okay, this, this is I hope my son doesn't look at me like I'm looking at you right now, like like you're old and you can't do this. But uh, I think he actually appreciates it at the end of the day. So um well hey, good stuff as always, Ben. Uh appreciate your time. I always look forward to the uh the newsletters. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again very soon. Yeah, I think you'll like the next one. It's going to be full of action. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to it, man. Thanks again. Yep. Thanks as always, Cable. Appreciate it. So there's the latest from Ben Cassidy, SCI's Director of Governmental Affairs. Man, fortunate to have SCI and like-minded organizations on the front lines fighting for our rights as hunters and conservationists because it is a daunting task taking on these anti-hunting factions that all they do at the end of the day is raise funds so that they can sue the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and state wildlife agencies. It's a vicious cycle, and there needs to be a law put in place that prevents them from doing that, to be frank, or at least some kind of moratorium to where they can't sue on the same exact thing over and over again. Give us like a couple years to to move on. Uh, But, geez, it's absurd. Uh, That segment of the show was brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. You can find their entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. Unfortunately, we got to go. Got to get out of here flat out of time. Thanks to Ben, as well as our other guests today, Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance and Snow Goose Outfitter Chris Slimp of Live Oak Outdoors. We'll be back with a brand new show next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Take it while it comes, cause it don't last long. Hesitate.